Hi there, everybody. Ed asked me to chime in and let you know about me. My name is Dan, and I am weird. But I don't see weird as a bad thing. Weird just means people marching to the beat of a different drum, not fitting into that hole that society wants to shove you into. On my show, The Power of Weird, I'm talking to people like me. The weirder, the better. So when you're done listening to this great episode of the Dead America Podcast, come on over to thepowerofweird.com and start the descent into your weirdom. And remember, be the weird you want to see in the world. I'll see you next time on The Power of Weird. <laughs> That's kind of funny how miracles do just pop into our lives every day. If you, yeah. if you if you look, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I love that. that's awesome. It's something about paying attention to them and writing them down. It's like they start showing off. They start, yeah, <laughs> they yeah. start bringing amazing things, and and really, it's, it is like a pop. Just something will just pop into your life, and it it goes from night to day, zero to hundred. To overcome, you must educate. Educate not only yourself, but educate anyone seeking to learn. We are all dead America. We can all learn something. To learn, we must challenge what we already understand. The way we do that is through conversation. Sometimes we have conversations with others. However, some of the best conversations happen with ourselves. Reach out and challenge yourself. Let's dive in and learn something right now. Today we are with Serene Seas. She is an author of the book, The Eve in Us All. Serene, could you please introduce yourself and let people know just a little bit about you, please? Yes, my name is Serene Seas. I am an author I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, born and raised. And I really wrote the book as a way to process my grief. Because my daughter passed away in late 2019, and I was told that that year, that first year, would be the hardest. And so I wanted to have a a spiritual practice that I've used in the past, which gave me amazing results. I wanted to have a spiritual practice as a way for me to cope with my grief. And so I wrote a book that was going to be devoted to finding a miracle a day for 2020. And I had no idea 2020 would be 2020. So it turned out to be an absolutely amazing experience, despite everything that was happening in the world and even things that happened to me, like job loss and, you know, again, the grieving my daughter and the changes that came with that in our family. I still was able to find a miracle day. So I wanted to really encourage people to look at life as always being for them and not against them. That is always a good way to look at life. I do want to say I'm sorry for your loss to start with. Thank you. Uh, life, Life throws some horrendous things at us. My mother lost her first child 
and I watched the devastation that it brought because of the unwillingness to dive in and really understand it more. So it's not something easy to go through, that's for sure. What was the strongest thing that got you through? Was it your faith? It was absolutely my faith. One of the things that I learned when I was writing the book is that I had actually been prepared. I've been prepared about a year before she passed away. Um, and it was it, it was something that I really didn't realize until I started writing. And I was getting the information as I was writing it, which is why journaling your experiences are so important because sometimes you can see things that you may be dismissed at the time. But months before that, um, I, I really, like my interest in what happens after you die really ramped up. And I was I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness. So we had very clear, very what we were taught, scripturally based views about what happens when you die. You just, you know, your, your memory or your spirit returns to God and that's it. You have no consciousness, no anything. And so I never explored any other afterlife theories and I really was able to see like all of the things that I was quote unquote curious about was really my intuition guiding me to look at death in another way and to look at life in a whole new way. So now I do believe that we reincarnate over and over. I do believe that we come here with a specific mission and we get guidance and directions from our angels and our guides and our intuition. I do believe, you know, in all of these things that I would have considered even three years ago to be really out there, I, I have a deeper understanding about life because of that experience. So the death of your daughter really made you open up to exploring new things. Do you kind of wish you would have looked at life and the afterlife deeper before you lost your child? I do. I do. But at the same time, I don't I, I don't know what would have been the catalyst for it. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what happens when you're looking at when you're looking at um this kind of information, you know, around reincarnation, you kind of learn that you, you experience certain things in life at different stages, and you decide when you're going to really open to those things and learn them. I had actually a previous experience with one of my children, <clears throat> so, and I have five children, and my youngest son, he's, he's a very spiritually advanced being. I, I really call him a master. He's just awesome. But one of the things that I experienced with him is at about three or four years old, he was coming to everyone and saying, I remember when I was in heaven. And he came to me and he was saying, I saw you and my daddy and I decided I wanted to be with y'all. And so I jumped into your stomach. So we laughed about it, but then 
when I was talking to his dad about it, we remembered like the day he was conceived. I know this sounds so weird, but the day he was conceived, it was a different feeling between him between me and his father. And, you know, we kind of talked about it. We looked at each other like, what just happened? Like, we had no idea, like, what was going on. It was a completely different sensation at that time. And it turned out that was the day, the night that he was conceived. So I could have taken his words and use that as an opportunity to explore reincarnation and how we choose our parents and we choose our challenges then. But at the time, I was just kind of like, oh, my God, this child has such a wild imagination. And it was it was just a strange coincidence that we, that between me and his father, we had actually, you know, felt him enter the world. So how it appears to work is if you don't get it this time, if you don't get it with this experience, life through your planning of your challenges is going to give you another opportunity to look at to look at um, what's really going on, the bigger picture in life. And so that's what this experience with my daughter definitely did. It's quite unique because recently I have been interviewing an individual named Carl DeLue. And we speak about this a little bit, this reincarnation. And it's interesting, the research that I've done, there are so many documented instances of these, the same thing you just said about your son saying, hey, I saw you and I decided. So it's definitely something people should look into. And I want to just take time to say congratulations on all of your children. Uh, good sized family is always wonderful. Thank I, you for that, Ed. Yeah, it, I, it's not easy, but yeah, we're very thankful. Yes, it, it, that's for sure. It's never easy. And that's why it takes a certain type to do it. <laughs> I was looking through your social media and I came across five things to heal. Yeah. Uh, do you have those kind of memorized where you can talk about those? Oh, wow. Um, I can pull them up. I'll be happy to pull those up, yeah. That, well, I have them uh, okay. written down. Yeah. I find it very fascinating, and I think this is a really good way to look at the journey that you're taking and actually the mindset behind it all. Mm -hmm. So if I read them off to you, can we just comment on each one of those? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the first one, it says... Balance compassion for yourself with a determination to get up and give every day your best. Yeah. Is that number one for a reason? Absolutely. So that's one of the things that I really went through when I was grieving my daughter. There was there was so many times I felt like I could have stepped in and saved the day and been the hero and kept her here. 
Um, and that is something that's very common um, when someone you love dies. There's a tremendous amount of guilt and there's a tremendous amount of regret. And so um, learning to just not beat myself up about what I could have done was something I really struggled with. It's, it's still, even now sometimes, um, I, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, the situation and I'm thinking, I miss him so much. If only. If only. And so I, I realize that it's just another way of beating myself up, of not being compassionate and kind. And so um, sometimes we get in the habit of that. It's, it's, you know, it's, it just plays on a loop. So when I catch myself doing it, it's very important that I just sit back, take a couple of deep breaths, be thankful for the time that I did have with her, be thankful for the children that I have here and her children who are still here, and put my energy and focus on doing my very best each and every day to be present and aware and engaged with them and with my life. So that's something that regret and, and grief and and the pain of those experiences can rob us of. We, we lose that vitality of being in the moment and being loving and compassionate for ourselves and the people that we care about. That's that's pretty wise right there. The second one, have a spiritual practice that moves you to participate fully in your own evolution. So this is where writing daily miracles comes in. So I've learned about writing my miracles down in 2017. And it was this book by Stuart Wilde. Um, called Daily Miracles. And when I read it, I was like, I'm just going to try it. It seems like it's fun. You know, it'd be a great thing to do. So I did it for two months. And it was a lot of fun. It, you know, finding those little coincidences that somehow seemed like they were made just for you. And then I stopped. I gave it a rest for about 30 days. And within that time, I actually met my sister, biological sister, biological mother, and biological father, who lives less than 10 minutes from me. And I was adopted as a newborn, so I had never, you know, never been able to find any information. I was actually kidnapped at birth. It's a long story I go into um, in the book. But because I was kidnapped at birth by a family member, I had no connection at all to my actual birth family. There was there was no records. You know, some people that have an old birth certificate they can go back and use. I had none of that. And so I knew <laughs> from that experience that documenting your miracles will bring amazing things into your life. But I stopped because I had to process, like, what happened. Like, I have a whole new family. I have a connection to my history I also found out that my mother was given a concoction that was supposed to abort me. So I'm actually a survivor of a botched abortion. So that was a lot to process. So I wasn't doing any writing of my daily miracles 
anymore. I was just dealing with all the information I was learning and, you know, trying to find peace with everything that was going on around me with that situation and and creating those new relationships. And so when my daughter passed away and I was warned about the first year, I have a history of depression. Like as a very young child, I used to go through very deep depression. And so I knew that I didn't do something proactively to help lift myself up and help me to look forward to each day, I was in danger of going back into deep depression. Despite, you know, getting the information about what happens after death and knowing that my daughter was in a better place, I'm a human being. I'm selfish. I miss my daughter. I want my daughter to be here. I want her to see her children grow up. And so I had to get to a place where I was like, okay, I know me. I know what I need to do. I'm going to write a miracle every day. You know, I'm going to back it up by making sure I take walks in nature and I do yoga and I, you know, meditate and I eat good because I know that's going to help my body, help my body feel better. But for my soul, for my own spiritual for my own spiritual salvation, I know that I need I knew that I needed to write a daily miracle. Because it would give me something to be excited about. It would make me want to move past just going to work and being home and going to work and being home. And you know, I I wouldn't just be thinking about the things that I had to do. I would be looking for or expecting communication from whatever it is that talks to us, whatever it is that responds to our hope and our faith. I I don't know if you believe in the Bible, but the Bible says um, you're going to be rewarded according to your faith. And and that the the most high God is looking for a way to reward you. That's kind of what it feels like when you're writing down your daily miracles. You're getting communication from the universe in your own love language. It's amazing. That is very true. And, you know, in the book of Jeremiah, it tells you that God wants good things for you. He has an expected end for you. Mm-hmm. So I, I do love spiritual things and not just my Christianity, but I like mm-hmm. to indulge in understanding other spiritual practices that other people participate in. It's a fascinating journey. But that leads us into your third thing to heal. Have a vision for your life that can weather any storm. So one of the one of the experiences that I had when my daughter passed away is a change in the dynamic with my grandchildren. So my grandchildren um, were all with other family members um, before she passed, and my youngest grandchild was with her um, was with her mom. So when my daughter passed away, all of a sudden I was blocked from seeing my grandchildren, well, one of my grandchildren in particular. Um, And then the other was taken by her father, and I was hardly ever seeing this child. I really still don't see this child. 
But I had a vision. I was meditating and God just flashed before me, you know, that everything would be fine. I got, I got a picture that I always hold on to when I think it's not going to work. Like it's not happening. What's going on? Like why, is, why is this still continuing to be an issue? in our family and that's something that happens especially for grandparents in in the state of Georgia. Grandparents basically have no rights. And so there's no court I could go to to try to remedy it. And I even hate the whole idea of going to court. It was something I really didn't want to pursue because, you know, you you're talking about dirty laundry being exposed. It's just a whole negative experience that I really didn't want to participate in, especially when I know everybody was grieving. So I didn't want it to be about, you know, our entire family being torn apart because then my daughter is gone and and she was that glue that was maybe holding these these different members together. And so I waited and I waited and you know, just kind of wanted to give everybody a chance to take a breath and calm down and hopefully come to a place where we could be reasonable. We could talk about visitation. We could talk about, you know, some of the things that we needed to discuss to make sure the children have access to all of the family that loves them. And that just, that did not happen. It got worse and worse to the point where things weren't legally handled the way they were supposed to. For, for two of my grandchildren, and so I had to make a decision, and I did a little bit of a kidnapping situation, which, you know, there's kidnapping in my book as well, and you'll get to that part, but I had to kind of, um, I had to kind of take one of my grandchildren and legally get the kind of type of protection that this child needed because it wasn't there. And that was something that happened after I wrote I wrote this particular piece for Medium online and something told me to put it in. I don't know if it was my intuition, I don't know if it was guidance, but something said, put put this in because you're gonna have a resolution to this and you're gonna be able to talk about it. So I did that interview, I believe it was April. And the issue was resolved by June. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's kind of funny how miracles do just pop into our lives every day. If you, yeah. if you, if you look. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I love that. That's awesome. It's something about paying attention to them Ed, and writing them down. It's like they start showing off. They start, yeah, <laughs> they yeah. start bringing amazing things, and and really, it is like a pop. Just something will just pop into your life, and it it goes from night to day, zero to a hundred. Amen. I, I believe that a hundred percent because I've witnessed it. I've felt it. I've, you've been in the middle of that so many yeah. times, and you know they never seem to surprise me anymore. <laughs> so, uh, your fourth thing to heal: take the sunshine and the rain, and let them both grow you. Very important. Yeah. So I am the type of person who can um, bathe in self-pity if if I let myself. Mm. Why me? 
why this, why now? And I, I grew up from that. I matured from that. But that doesn't mean there are still situations that I just find perplexing, confusing, baffling, <laughs> and frustrating. And so what I've learned is that these are just exercises for your soul. They're exercises for strength and faith. They're exercises for strength and persistence. They're exercises for strength and love, unconditional love. You know, they're just exercises for your soul so that you can expand right now in this in this space into the unlimited eternal being that you truly are. Yes. You know, and a good good thing to go with that is we're kind of like farmers. When we plant a seed today, mm-hmm. we have to care for that seed, mm-hmm. water it, nurture it before we can harvest the bountiful fruits from that seed. So you've got to take all of it, then you receive your bounty. So that's a good tip. I like that one. Yeah. Number five, it says, listen to yourself without judgment. Yes. So this is one of the this is one of the things that grief taught me because I never lost someone close to me before. I, I was forty eight years old and this is the first time and, and I did lose my dad a couple of years ago. We hadn't been close at the time that he passed away. So this was like losing a dear, dear friend. My daughter was was such an amazing person. Everybody felt like she was their best friend. (laughs) She was just that kind of person. She was generous and loving. She brought so much life and fun into the room. Like The moment she walked in, she was like that kind of person. And so... Losing her was a different level of loss than I've ever experienced before. And there were times when I I would I would um go through uh the a mental a mental monologue about the ways that we could have handled things differently or we we could have um address certain things so that the the issue with her children wouldn't have been the way that it is. There was so many times that I was doing that to myself and I had to really get to a place where I understood this is a part of grief. Don't try to push past it. Don't try to stuff it down. Um, listen to it. Honor it. But at the same time, know that the only way to get really to the other side is to go through it and to be willing to just feel what you feel. So if I wanted to cry, I didn't repress those tears. I would cry. Even now, if I want to cry about it, I give myself permission to do that. Now, I'm known for being a crybaby anyway, but I don't I don't believe in repressing emotions and repressing what comes up and as long as I'm doing it in a way that I'm not being um, harmful to other people and I'm not kind of re-traumatizing myself with certain things I know that it's healthy for me to get those things out 
And that's what listening to myself was all about. You know, I, I didn't want to rush past the grief process or, you know, figure out how I can get over it. it even even the whole thing about, um, you know, getting on medication or going to counseling after grief. Grief, when you lose someone, is a part of life. You can't medicate yourself out of it. Even though medication might help if you're dealing with, you know, depression that's triggered by it. And talking about it will only take you so far. You really have to, from my experience, just go through it. Let it be what it is. Honor it. The emotion that those those memories, those those thoughts are there for a reason. So when I when I noticed that I can honor those things by just letting them be, I was able to let them go and then I was presenting to the world someone authentic. Someone who wasn't pretending to be over it or pretending to be so strong that, you know, I'm um all better all the time you know and then it gave me the strength to be better like when I when I was able to just let it be and it, it was it gone I went I passed through it I was able to be stronger and and be more focused and more pure in my intention because I wasn't trying to have for me I wasn't trying to bypass it I was I was giving it the honor that it deserved so my miracles actually picked up when I realized that I could just honor all of my feelings, not look at something as negative or bad or, you know, going to potentially manifest something in my life that I didn't want. No, to be authentic in my own power meant that I had to honor that grief, that sadness, that despair sometimes. And the universe didn't hold it against me. The universe still said, boom, blessing, boom, another one. It was it was amazing. It was truly amazing. Writing about it helped me to make it more real. Incredible. Let's talk about your daughter a little bit. Who was your daughter and what was her passion in life? So my daughter, this is my oldest daughter, and in the book, I called her Samara. Um, there, there's, you know, I, I changed some names to protect the identity of so many people involved. So in the book, she is Samara. And my daughter was one of these people who just had a very contagious spirit. I could only describe it as contagious she eventually came to understand that she could use her her two main gifts, which were singing and um, healing. She was a natural healer. And so she realized that she could use her two main gifts to help people heal. Um, so she did go to massage therapy school. And because of her illness, she did drop out after about six months. But she had learned so much from her experience. She actually had a little massage therapy business that she was running herself. And so she had people waiting on her to lay hands on them and take that 
tension and pain and stress away. And she would talk to you about different foods you could eat and different practices you could do. She loved crystals. She was just a natural healer. She was truly a beautiful person. But she also had an adventurous side that left her open to trying things without fully understanding what she was doing. And so she would experiment with with things in the spiritual realm or she would experiment with things in the earthly realm without understanding the full implications of what she was doing. An example of that is she tried um she tried ayahuasca or something very similar to ayahuasca and it was supposed to be a very spiritually enriching experience for her, which she said initially it was, but she had some trauma from childhood that was actually re-triggered by that experience. But I didn't learn until over a year later. Uh, when I was listening to Tim Ferriss' podcast, and he had um, tried ayahuasca, but he had someone there who was like a, a a coach or someone who was trained to deal with, you know, what can potentially be the dark side of what he experienced. And, and sure enough, it came up for him. So as he was talking about how his sexual abuse as a child began to emerge like in a level of clarity that we you know was disturbing to him because he had repressed that memory. Um, I thought about my daughter and I thought about how she told me she was having a lot of issues with with one of the experiences or childhood traumatic experiences that was also involved in sexual abuse. So I didn't understand at the time that it caused her so much pain that she was literally trying to escape it. Yeah. She was trying to escape it. Yeah, that's and so, Yeah, and so we have to be careful with some of these very ancient tribal spiritual practices, some of these, you know, rituals that seem to be harmless because people have been using them for 5,000 or 10,000 years or whatever. Some of those things you need to make sure it's a, a, a practice mature person is there to help guide you through it so that you don't open portals that you can't, if you know, you're not equipped to deal with. That's so important that people really need to understand. And in a lot of these traumatic experiences that we deal with, that one of the main reasons we're searching for something to release that I don't recommend drugs. I, I recommend people really getting high on themselves anymore. Mm-hmm. I've been through all of that, and I recognize, yeah, it's fun. It can be invigorating in some ways, but yet a lot of us, we don't realize when we start doing those things, the dangers associated with them also. So I, I understand the experimentation because we all want to find out the 
reason, the existence, and so much more. But we do have to be careful with that. That is for sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of your daughter, do you see any resemblance of your daughter in any of her children? Absolutely. Um, Especially the youngest one, which is her daughter, my granddaughter. Um, My granddaughter, you're probably going to know her name at some point. Uh, she's that type of person. She's extremely smart, extremely funny, um, very talented, very bold. She has a very bold personality. So I definitely see it, the, you know, that part of her mother in her. My middle grandchild, I'm sorry, you wanted to say something? No, no, I was just chuckling at that. Go ahead. Yeah. Now, my middle grandson has her sensitivity. He's a very sensitive soul, and you don't really, you know, you don't really see that until you kind of get to know him well, but he's he's a very sensitive and sweet soul. He has a sweetness that, that she also had, um, and so that, that's one, one of the things that I've been able to notice about, about him. Now, my oldest grandson has her goofy personality. He is, um, he's a weirdo and he's doing well in a house full of weirdos because we're all weird. (laughs) So he fits in really well with the craziness that we have going on around here. And that's how his mother was. She was um, crazy fun. And um, all of the children got a little piece of her. All of them got a little piece of her. Yeah, but yet the youngest by far has the most, like, from what I can tell. Yeah. Well, you know, Serene, you can see and hear the love in your heart and in your soul. It's it's just amazing with where you came from to who you are now. And this book... I'm sure is going to be an inspiration to many people. Before we go, is there any call to action that you want to give to our people? Absolutely. So I definitely hope they get the book. And I know that the subject matter, we're talking about death, we're talking about abortion, we're talking about attempted abortions. Um, I know the subject matter is considered heavy. Um, and I started my book out with the story of my of my birth because I wanted I wanted it to be very very clear to my reader that yes this is what happened to me and for a very long time I thought because I was the quote unquote unwanted pregnancy that that meant that I was unwanted, that I didn't deserve to be here. And I want everybody to know you deserve to be here. Amen. Fight for your life. Fight for a real life. Be about the expression of who you are and don't let the genetic play, the the uh, sensation, the the way our DNA has of speaking to us, don't let those things override who you really are. So that's one of the things that I I wanted 
people to really get from the book thing. If I can find that sense of, I deserve to be here. I have every right to be here. And anything that I'm being told, whether it's in my spirit or in, in my head or from other people that I was unwanted and it wasn't the right time for me to be here, all of that is not true. It is exactly the right time. There is a purpose for everyone to be here at the time that they're here. And there is a greater reason for everything that you can go through than you ever imagined. There's a greater purpose for it. There's a deeper meaning than just a superficial, you know, meaning of not being wanted or um, not being loved or not being seen or someone wanting to keep you hidden. So I start out the book with something that we consider as a culture dark. And I kind of, I, when I looked at it later, and I kind of regretted maybe not warning people about how the book starts, because the book does not continue that way. The book is really a fun, you know, it's got ups and downs, it's got twists and turns, and there's a lot of fun and a lot of laughter and a lot of just amazing things that happen throughout that year. But it's kind of similar to how the um, the documentary Blackfish starts out. I don't know if you've seen Blackfish. Have you seen Blackfish? I have not. Let me tell you, it is amazing. It won several awards um, for documentaries. But one of the reasons I could not watch it is when it starts out, it starts out with the murder of the of the the whales or the orcas mothers. It it literally started out with that. And I was like, Oh my God, this if this film starts out this way, there's no way I could watch the rest of it. <laughs> well eventually I did. And I realized why they did that. They they wanted to come full circle. It starts out with us as a society taking these whales from their mothers in the most traumatic way possible and then enclosing them in these, you know, aquariums for our entertainment. And so I thought about how I started my book out with something very dark and very, you know, what some people consider depressing. But it's not a book about going deep into darkness and going deep into your depression to see what you can get. It really is about the resilience of the human spirit and how it is so wonderful to be here. And if you just pay attention every single day, you will feel it. You will know it. You'll see it. Writing it down gives you the ability to catch it and hold it. So that is the purpose of the book. And I, I, if, even if you don't get the book, if you start writing down your miracles every single day, I promise you amazing things will happen in your life. And that's for your audience. That's powerful, and it's so true. You know, we've got to observe every moment of our life, our actions, our reactions, everything around us, because life is precious, and you never know when it's over. Yeah. So I I love how people like you can come on and talk about those dark things that really, truly matter, and they really, truly change lives. We need more of that, and that's what Dead America Podcast is truly about, bringing those heartfelt stories out 
So people that are feeling left out, alone, in desperate need of something, we can all feel better together because we need each other. Absolutely. I do thank you so much for your story, Serene. It's been a pleasure having you on the Dead America podcast, and I wish you well. Thank you. Thank you, Ed. It was definitely my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. If you found this podcast enlightening, entertaining, educational in any way, please share, like, subscribe, and join us right back here next week for another great episode of Dead America Podcast. I'm Ed Waters, your host. Enjoy your afternoon, wherever you may be.